Well, we love moments, don't we? We love moments. Some of you would rather forget that moment right there on video, but we do. We, we love moments, especially in this social media age we live in. We, we love seeing other people's moments, and we love sharing our moments to the world as well. In fact, there's a whole mantra around social media that I've discovered. Here's a little image of it. It says this, pics or it didn't happen. Like, you better show pictures or it wasn't real. I'm not a big Snapchat user, but there's a, you know, in the younger generation, Snapchat's where it's at. There's a t-shirt you can buy. It says this on the t-shirt. T-shirt. If we can get that up there, it'd be there. We go. If you don't snap it, it didn't happen. Apparently, they can't spell either. But that's a whole other product of the age we live in. Uh, I actually believe now more than ever we we struggle comparing our mundane with everyone else's moments. That's crept into our marriages and relationships as well. That I think now, even in our marriages, our relationships, we are we are looking for moments to see us through. We're looking for moments to make our marriage thrive, but thriving marriages aren't built on moments. And that's what we're talking about today in the final week of our relationship series called It Takes Two. If you're new here, uh, my name is Jeff Manis. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, for you and everyone who is here today, so thankful you've chosen to uh, worship with us. If you're joining us on video somewhere, whether you're online late, sometime later on or right here in the building today, uh, glad that you are with us as well. If this is your first uh, week in the series, don't worry. You can get caught up uh, by watching our sermons online elementchurchwy.com, or you can download our podcast and listen as well. We've been walking through the Old Testament book of Song of Solomon, or some Bibles call it Song of Songs. And God, through the author Solomon, uses this beautiful, poetic, allegorical language to display a relationship between a young man and young woman as they go from attraction all the way through a, a thriving, lifelong marriage. In week number one, we talked about focus, that our fulfillment cannot be found in finding the right one, but in becoming the right one, becoming the right person. We just need to have the right focus. In week number two, we looked at preparing for marriage, and we saw in Song of Solomon how this couple practiced the right things before marriage, so they were prepared for the relationship they wanted in marriage. In week number three, we talked about sex, that God is the one who created it, and more than anyone, God wants us to experience all of the pleasure and intimacy and connection that sex can bring inside of his design. Last week, then, we talked about conflict, and we saw this couple in Song of Solomon face and resolve resolve conflict. And we learned that conflict resolution is only as strong as your willingness to face it resolutely. And that brings us to today, the last week in our series. And I just kept coming back in my preparation to this idea about moments. Now, uh, understand I'm all for moments in life. Moments can create great memories. They can galvanize people together. They can energize and strengthen relationships. So I'm not saying that, I, I, that moments are bad. I even enjoy sharing moments with my, with my own wife, for instance. 
Every day before I leave our house and head out to work, uh, I try to say I love you to my wife and give her a kiss if I have that opportunity. I, I don't know why this is, but it just seems like I'm always the first one when I leave to say I love you. And so I've teased my wife about that over the years. Like, why am I always the one that says I love you first? When are you going to say, say it first? I'm going to tease her about that. And one day, not too long ago, I was getting ready to leave our house. I was walking out of the room, and before I could even say it, I hear my wife say, I love you. It like stopped me dead in my tracks, like, whoa. I was like, babe, you said it first. Like that made my day that you said, I love you first. And so now I wanted to go give her a kiss, so I start walking over to where my wife is. As I'm walking over to give my wife a kiss, I see there's tears coming down her face. She began to cry. And I'm like, aw, we're gonna have a moment. Like this is going to be a moment in our relationship that she loves me so much. She knew how special this moment was to me, how important it was to say, I love you first, that our love is so great, it caused her to cry. So I'm walking over there, I said, babe, are you crying? And she pulled out her phone, held it up, she said, I'm watching a Hallmark movie, it's sad. <laughs> and there went the moment, right? Now, obviously, we've had great moments in our marriage, and we still do, but in all reality, moments are few and far between, are they not? Like, moments are limited in, in life. And if we only relied in our marriage on moments to define a thriving marriage, we'd get frustrated really quick if we only relied on, on moments. What's way more applicable to marriage is not moments that define a relationship. It's moment by moment decisions that lead us to a place where that relationship is fully alive. It's moment by moment decisions that lead to a thriving marriage. So here's the big idea for today. The way I've worded it, it's on the screens if you wanna write it down. A thriving marriage does not depend on moments. It is decided moment by moment. A thriving marriage does not depend on moments. They are few and far between. It is decided. It's a decision moment by moment. So if a thriving marriage is really a decision I've got to make, I wanna know what decisions are most important. So the big question for today is this, what decisions lead to a thriving marriage? What decisions lead to a thriving marriage? We're gonna be in the book of Philippians chapter two. Verses three through 11 today. And yes, I know we're supposed to be in Song of Solomon. I promise I'm gonna use some of the last two chapters of that book in this message. Uh, but God, uh, just like the, the theme, God kept bringing me back to this passage over and over again. Philippians is in the New Testament portion of the Bible. If you wanna follow along, we'll put all the verses on the screens. You can use your own Bible if you want to. We'd love for you to do that. If you don't own a Bible, we'll give you one for free. Ask for a Bible at guest services. We'll get you one free of charge, you need to know that this passage is not even about marriage. So we're looking at a passage not about marriage. And really though, what we see in this passage applies to all relationships. So no matter your relationship status today, I firmly believe that if we will decide each moment to live the way that God challenges us to live in this passage of scripture, I think the odds for us to experience thriving relationships and thriving marriages that we hope for will exponentially increase. 
Because here's the reality. I don't just want a marriage that lasts. I'm all for marriages that last, but I don't want just a marriage that lasts. I want a marriage that thrives all the way to the end. And that's what we're gonna see, I think, in these principles here. To the person who might be here and you don't believe in God yet, you're not a follower of Jesus, man, we love it that you are here. And we uh, love you regardless of what you believe while you are here. And I just want you to know something that I believe for the most part, the things we're looking at today in this passage, whether you believe in God or not, they are just common sense things that make sense to apply to every relationship in life. And so, yes, they are found in Scripture. We believe that Scripture is from God. But these are common sense practices that I think will help you, regardless of whether you believe in God or not. We see a couple of them right off the bat. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. A guy named Paul writes this. We call him the Apostle Paul. He says this. Don't be selfish, it's a whole sermon right there. Don't try to impress others. That describes the social media age, does it not? Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now, all of that is just good advice whether you believe in God or not, is it not? Just good advice for us in, in life. And then Paul says this, you must, help me out and say must, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. A thriving marriage doesn't depend on moments. It's decided moment by moment. So what decisions will lead to a thriving marriage? There's lots of them, I understand, that we could talk about. We're gonna kind of boil them down to three principles that we're gonna see here in this passage. I think everything we can do in marriage, positively, is summed up into these three principles. Number one, we see it in the scripture, is this. Submit yourself. Submit yourself. Here in Philippians, we are told that if we believe in Jesus, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that we must have, not we should have or hope to have or try to have, but we must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Hello. And what was that attitude? Well, we are told he wasn't selfish. He was humble. He looked out for the interest of others, that even though he was God himself, he did not consider equality with God as something to hold on to. Instead, he gave up those divine privileges. He submitted himself. Now, again, whether you are a Christian or not, that's just sound advice to live that way. So I think Jesus actually understood four words that we all need to understand. These four words we should memorize and apply to every area of our life. You're not gonna like these four words, but they are four words that will change, I think, the way we live. And here they are, four words. It's not about me. It's not about me. That in my relationships, in my marriage, I need to choose to submit myself. That any rights I have, any privileges I believe I deserve, I lay them down. I lay them down. 
Now, this word submit, I used it. Some of you are already freaking out about it because it's been misunderstood in marriage, especially in the church settings. Typically, we use the word submit only for the wife. I've even heard some men say things like, well, the Bible says the wife's supposed to submit to her husband. I don't know why I went redneck right there, but that's what I chose. <laughs> Sounds like a redneck thing to say. I don't know. But... But people say that, right? The wife should submit to her husband, which is true. The Bible does say that, okay? Hang with me for a moment. But Ephesians 5, says this, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But before you get too worked up and energized here, uh, not only has that verse been misused and misunderstood, it's also been abused in the church. Because most often that verse is used in conjunction with the statement that the husband is supposed to lead and the wife is supposed to submit. It's even oftentimes tried to be used to control or manipulate the spouse, which leads to what we talked about last week, conflict, <laughs> right? Did you know that husbands are supposed to submit to? We never talk about this in the church. We only use verse 22. What we need to do is read the verse before it as well. Because for us to say that wives submit and husbands lead is not revealing the whole truth. Because look at the verse before it. Ephesians 5.21. Speaking to both husband and wife and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So husbands... If we want to be the leader of our home, our first leadership responsibility is to lead the way in submission. It's not about me. That if the Bible says that the husband's the leader, but it first says that the husband should submit, then the first thing I submit is my leadership privileges. Whoo! Song of Solomon 7, verse 1. We're going to pick up here. This is the verse we left off last week. Here's what the man says to his bride. We believe now they are matured in their relationship. Maybe years has gone by. And he says this, How beautiful are your sandaled feet, O queenly maiden. Don't miss the, the potential power of this one sentence here. Because in this culture, it was customary for a servant to take off the shoes of the master and wash the master's feet. So if he was down at her feet and could see her sandaled feet, this one sentence was perhaps a sign of this young man's submission to his spouse to take off her sandals and wash her feet. Tommy Nelson, the author of the book of Romance, I've mentioned this, several, this book several times in the series. We ran out of them again, and so we ordered some more, and they'll be in the store uh, this next week. Uh, in fact, we've got a ton of books in there. We're recommending books for singles, books for dating, books for marriage, all of them recommended. Uh, make sure and grab one, pay for it, then grab one, uh, <laughs> and, and, and take it out. Pay for it first, that'd be awesome. Um, but Tommy Nelson in the book of Romance, which I've quoted numerous times here in the series, says this about that one verse. He was not demanding that she bow before him. Rather, he was on his knees before her. Man. 
After this verse, by the way, he goes on to compliment her from her feet all the way up to her head, her whole body, soul, and spirit. After he got done complimenting all of who she was and submitting to her, the wife then says this in verse 10. She says, I am my lover's and he claims me as his own. In other words, because you led in submission, I now submit myself. And I say, it's not about me. I am my lover's and he claims me as his own. Listen, listen. Your marriage, your sex life, your intimacy, your connection, your communication, your conflict resolution, everything we've talked about in this series will never thrive until you get to this point. It's not about me. I submit myself that your attitude must be the same as that of Christ Jesus, that he did not consider equality with God as something to hold on to. He gave up his divine privileges. So can I be so bold as to reword that verse for our marriages? Here's how I would reword that one verse for marriages. It's on the screens, and here's what it would say. Do not consider equality with your spouse as something to cling to, but rather give up your personal privileges. That hits home. A thriving marriage does not depend on moments. It's decided moment by moment. So what decisions lead to a thriving marriage? Well, submit yourself. Then all of verse seven says this. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. Some versions use the word servant. Talk about that in a second. And was born as a human being. So that word slave in our English language, comes from the Greek word doulos, which literally means someone who belongs to and serves another without any ownership rights of their own. A doulos, a, a otherwise called a bond servant or a bond slave, they were in this culture a slave or a servant by choice, not by control. So Jesus, we are told, chose to serve people. And who are those people? Us. We are the people. He was a bond servant, a slave to. So the second thing, second decision I gotta make for a thriving marriage is this, I gotta submit to serve. Submit myself and submit to serve. Ephesians 5, 25 Ephesians 5 is, the, is probably the greatest chapter on marriage in all the Bible. Ephesians 5.25 says this. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? How did he love us? Well, one of the key ways, according to his own confession, was to serve the church. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus, in this eyewitness account, is recorded saying this, for even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, even myself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I know that a lot of us guys in the room, we'd be quick to say, man, I'd give my life for my wife. I would die for my wife. And yeah, I know. 99.9% .9 of every man in the room would die for their wife. But the question is, will you choose to serve her while you're alive? So it's one thing to die for someone. It's another thing to give your life for them while you're alive. That's the question. So wives, you're not off the hook 
either. Proverbs 31, 10 through 12 says this, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Four verses, one in Ephesians, three in Proverbs. If we in our marriages would just live out those four verses, you would not believe the amount of change we'd see in our marriages. So many things we could talk about here. I think the most helpful thing I could challenge us on is this. Here's my challenge to married couples. Know what your spouse needs and then meet that need for them without expecting anything in return. My wife calls it this, filling up your spouse's love bucket. Filling up their love bucket. Like know what your spouse's love bucket is, how they receive love the best, and then make it your goal to fill up that bucket every single day, regardless of whether they fill up yours. When we submit to ourself and submit to, our, to, to, to serve, that means we're gonna find out what our spouse needs and we're gonna do it. We're gonna listen to where they are hurting and we're gonna help. We're gonna seek to know how they best receive love and we're gonna express our love to them in that way. If you don't know what your spouse's love bucket or love language is, you need to go to this website today, fivelovelanguages.com. It's amazing. Write it down, take a picture, I don't care. Fivelovelanguages.com. Gary Chapman wrote a book literally 20-some years ago about the love languages that we have as people, that as human beings, we experience love in five primary ways. All of us default more to one of those five ways. You can go on that website, you can take a little like 10-minute quiz or whatever, and it tells you what your love language is out of the five love languages. So both my wife and I have done that. I would encourage you to do that as well and then seek to fill up their love bucket, regardless of whether it's what you like or not. And listen, if you know, if you know what your spouse or your marriage needs and you simply refuse to meet that need for whatever reason, you are walking on shaky ground. You are making your marriage all about you. And when you make your marriage all about you, you might find yourself having the one thing you've pursued, you. Thriving marriage, not defined by moments, it's decided moment by moment. So what decisions lead to a thriving marriage? Well, submit yourself, submit to serve, which by the way, I am so thankful for a wife who takes seriously filling up my love bucket every single day. My love language is words of affirmation. That's how I best receive love, encouragement and affirmation. So my wife goes out of her way to do that for me. She'll be at the 6 p.m. service tonight, and she knows that, or she, every week, she knows when I walk off the platform, she wants me to have something on my phone from her to read this encouraging. And so she'll, during the message, she'll just text me something to my phone. I'll walk off, I'll open my phone, and there's a message from my wife. Sometimes she just tells me how hot I am, which is fine, by the way. <laughs> But usually she'll say, and she'll be specific, not just, hey, good job, but I love that point you made right there that was so good. And it's just so encouraging to me. Every time I travel, every time I travel, she's done this for years, whether I'm gone one night or whether I'm gone a week, when I go to bed the night before I leave, my bag is packed, she will actually unpack my bag. 
She writes handwritten notes of encouragement, folds them up and puts them in the pockets of the pants I'll wear that week. I'll forget that she even does it. I'll put my pants on in the morning. I'll reach in there and then I'll pull out and there's a note from my wife. Sometimes, I won't tell you what some of them say, <laughs> but it makes me want to get home really quickly. But she'll just write words of encouragement, affirmation in my life. I'm so thankful for a spouse that fills my, my love bucket. Philippians 2, 7b through 11 then says this. This is a powerful passage, guys. When, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen, church? I mean, that's what we sang in that song forever, that forever he is glorified and forever he is lifted high, forever he is risen, he is alive. That's what we read in that passage. So here's the last decision we've got to make in order to have thriving marriages. We see it in the life of Jesus right here. Number three is this, I need to submit to the Savior. I need to submit to the Savior. That, that in marriage, in relationships, if I'm gonna have the same attitude that Christ had, I must submit myself. It's not about me. I must then submit to serve, that whatever my spouse needs, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that for them, regardless of whether it's what I want to do or not. But why do we do this? What's the motivation behind submitting ourselves and submitting to serve, I can tell you it's not so you experience a moment. It's not why you do it. It's not for manipulation. Well, if I do this and they'll do that for me, there's lots of that going on in marriage, by the way. It's not even so I will have a thriving marriage. That's not really our motivation because we're not guaranteed a thriving marriage even if we do this. The odds are better, I think. We're not guaranteed. So what's the motivation? I think the motivation is simply to submit to God to have reverence for our Savior who called us to live this way. Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Ephesians 5.21, we read it earlier. Let's go back to it here. It says this, and further, submit to one another. And what's the motivation? Out of reverence for Christ. I don't submit out of reverence for my wife. I don't submit so I get something from my wife. I submit because Jesus told me to. So submit to yourself, submit to serve, submit to your savior. And here's why this is so important. Difficult times are coming in your marriage. They're coming. Even in the greatest of marriages, there is seasons of loneliness and depression and disagreement and distance. There are times that physical disease or infirmities affect our relationship. If you have children, there are seasons of discipline you go through that you think, I don't know if we can survive this. And if you want a marriage that not only survives those times, but thrives through them, then you better submit yourself. 
And you better serve and you better submit to your Savior because the only way I live any of this out is if Jesus lives in me. So some of the final words the, the woman in Song of Solomon gave are found in Song of Solomon 8, 6 through 7. And she says this to her husband, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Seals in that culture were a sign of ownership, possession, or affiliation. They were also permanent as well. That when a king or a leader put their seal on something, it was irrevocable. It was permanent. So this woman is saying to her husband, I am yours and you are mine forever. Come what may, I'm yours. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy as enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. What she's saying, she's saying, babe, difficult times are on its way, but we will not drown in them. They're coming, but we will not drown. If a man tried to buy love with all of his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. That no amount of money and no great moment or bad moment can break this marriage apart. Why? Because we've submitted to ourself. We've submitted to serve and we've submitted to our savior. My family has been abundantly blessed with a heritage of God honoring, thriving marriages. And yes, every marriage, no matter how good it is or has been, every marriage, mine included, has things they need to work on, areas they need to improve. This series has been great for my wife and I. We're going through a marriage devotional on version. It's causing us to talk about some things in our life. It's been great. So, so yes, every marriage has areas of difficulty. But man, my family has been blessed with a heritage. My parents We'll celebrate 48 years of marriage in August. My dad's parents, before his dad passed away, had been married for 66 years. My mom's parents, before my grandmother passed away, was married for 68 years. That's mind-blowing to me. And I think all of them would say, if you ask them, how did you make it? How did you thrive? They may not use these exact words, but I guarantee you they'd go back and say, I, I had to submit myself. I had to submit to serve. And I know all of them would say, we couldn't have done it without our Savior. We couldn't. My grandpa and grandma Campbell, my mom's parents, married for 68 years. The final years of their life, my grandpa's still alive. He's 96, be 97 in May. My grandmother died two Augusts ago. The final years of their life were, were difficult. My grandmother was, was wheelchair bound for the final, I don't know, six, seven years of their living. My parents tried to keep them in their home as long as they could until it just got too much to bear. And so we moved them to an assisted living center in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where my mom's brother is the chaplain there. But as they were living with my mom and dad, my grandmother being in a wheelchair, there came a day where she was sick and she was sick a lot. Like, we didn't know. It seemed like every time we talked to her, it was going to be the last time, and that went on for years. She was sick, and one day in her wheelchair, she lost physical control of her bowels and just made an absolute mess everywhere. So my mom and my 90-some-year-old grandpa start cleaning up the mess. 
I'll never forget this story. My mom told me as they were down on the ground wiping up my grandmother, wiping up the wheelchair, wiping up the ground, that's how bad the mess was, she overheard my grandpa under his breath requoting his marriage vows to love and to cherish, 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 to love and to cherish. That's a thriving marriage, church. And here's the amazing thing. What my grandpa did for my grandma is what Jesus has done for us. That church, we've created a mess. And Jesus, as we read, God in the flesh, came down as mankind lived a life of service, died the death we deserve, rose from the dead and said, even though you made the mess, I'll clean it up. Put your faith in me. I'll forgive you of your sins. I'll give you life today and eternal life with me forever in heaven. But it starts with submitting to my savior. Why could my grandpa do that? He'd submitted to himself, submitted to serve, submitted to his Savior, and maybe you're here today and you know, man, I've created a mess that I can't fix on my own. The only way to fix it is Jesus. And if you've never put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, I wanna give you that chance today. So if you'd bow your head and close your eyes, and if that's you, if you wanna put your faith in Jesus, he came for you. Do not think you are here by accident today that God in his sovereignty knew you needed this message in this moment for this time. And he chose to speak these words to you. I love you. I love you. Enough to die in your place. So if you wanna put your faith in Christ, just say this prayer silently to God. Father in heaven, I believe. I believe in Jesus that he died for my sins and rose from the dead. So Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins. Wash me clean. Make me new. Come into my heart. I repent of the way I've lived. I'm gonna turn around and follow you. Thanks for loving me. I'll do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision today, I would love to know about it. I'm gonna ask you to do something very bold right now. It's bold, but it's, it's safe here because we love you and we've made this decision as well. So if you just put your faith in Christ for forgiveness of sins for the very first time, would you just lift up your hand and leave it up? Say, yep, that's me, Pastor Jeff. I just asked Jesus into my heart. Praise God right there. Anybody else? Lift your hand up and leave it up. Praise God right there, amen. Awesome, praise God right there. I see you, sweetie. Praise God. Anybody else? Amen. All the way there in the back. Awesome, welcome. Welcome, so good, amen, amen. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, it's the best decision you'll ever make, it's the hardest one you'll ever live. You need help. And so we wrote a devotional just for you called 21. It gets you taking your next steps in the Bible and in your faith journey. And you need that, they're free. Just ask for one at guest services on your way out. We'll give you a 21 devotional. Uh, we'd love to have you write it down in your connection card too. I promise you, we're not gonna go weird on you. We just wanna celebrate with you and offer you some tools to walk with Jesus. So mark on your card that you put your faith in Jesus. Let me pray for you guys. And then I just got a couple of things. So if you'd remain seated and hang out through the, through the end here, that'd be great. God, you're so good. Lord, thank you for new life today. 
That's the reason, Jesus, why you came. What just happened right there. You came to save sinners of whom we are the worst of them all. So thank you, God, for saving us and for those you just saved. Lord, give them now new life to walk with you. Lord, help us in our relationships, in our marriages, to submit to our, submit ourselves, submit to serve, and submit to you every single day. God, we love you. Give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you need prayer for anything going on in your life, stop by the purple tent in the back. Got a team that will pray for you for anything. If you're new here, love to see you in the living room. Uh, please take those, those uh, invite information cards as well. I got a different schedule on Easter Sunday, so make sure and invite somebody to come with you. And, and then lastly, if you came prepared to give, uh, don't forget to use those giving boxes on your way out. I love you guys. Have an awesome week. You're dismissed.